it's awesome to see you this morning. Jesus is doing amazing things in our lives in the Pittsburgh region in New Life Fellowship. So it's it's great to be here and be a part of his family this morning. Uh, as we celebrate the resurrection this morning, obviously we, we gave it away a little bit already. I want to start talking about what it means when Jesus said it is finished. And uh, we're going to talk about it this week and next week, I think. How many of you know it's okay to talk about what Jesus did on Easter more than one week? Is that all right with you? Easter, Easter ought to be an everyday experience in our lives. The reality of his resurrection should be present in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. So it's not just a one-time occasion that we talk about what Jesus did at Easter. So it is finished. Uh, he said those words on Good Friday. But how many of you know those words didn't stop with his death? Good, Good Friday, we celebrate the cross. It's, it's almost an oxymoron to say we celebrate the cross. But he really did do something amazing for us that we honor what he did. And we remember that. But all those things that happened on Good Friday didn't stop with Friday. There was power that was infused in those words when Jesus got up out of the grave. The resurrection life proved that everything he said and did was true and that he is the most powerful one ever. So it is finished, changed things for eternity, and actually still produces something in our lives today. So we're not going to stop and leave that phrase on Friday. We're going to continue to carry it with us. Uh, last week, if you were here, we looked at the triumphal entry uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there was this huge celebration. And we said last week that that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem was actually in their preparation for Passover would have been the same day that they selected a lamb to sacrifice. So an amazing analogy was happening right in front of everybody. The high priests were picking out this lamb that they were going to watch for a week to make sure it was an acceptable sacrifice. At that very same moment, Jesus, the Lamb of God himself, rode into town to be on display for people to watch him for a week. So that week had passed. Uh, observing the lamb had happened for a week, and the sacrifice was now imminent. It was about to happen. Uh, He cleaned out his father's house. All these things that Jesus did when he came into town for the week. He healed multitudes. It said they brought all the sick to him when he was teaching in the temple every day. Uh, He had several confrontations with the religious leaders where they tried to trap him and trick him. They would ask him these questions thinking, we're going to prove that you're not really who you say you are. And all that happened in that week, they couldn't make him stumble. They couldn't sidetrack him. And they couldn't disprove who he was. The lamb was flawless. The lamb was spotless. Then what happened? It was, it was a dark day before Resurrection Sunday. There was a sham trial. You know, they, they brought him up on these false charges in front of the high priest. They tried to get witnesses to come against him. And they finally heard from his own lips. They said, I, I ask you to answer me in the name of God. Are you the son of God? Do you claim to be the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. And they said, that's it. We don't need to hear anymore. You're worthy of death in our opinion. But the problem was the the Jews at the time, they weren't allowed to execute somebody. The Romans were in charge. And they had told the Jews, we don't care what your law says. We're the only ones that enforce the law. We can inflict the punishment. So they had this problem. They wanted to kill Jesus, but they weren't legally allowed to do it. So they brought him before Pilate. And they coerced Pilate. They said, if you don't do this, you're not a friend to Caesar. This man claims to be a king. Pilate was in an awkward spot. I believe he was a ruthless guy. Because most Romans who ruled at that time were. But he also was looking at it from a standpoint of, I don't want a rebellion on my hands. I, I don't want to revolt. I want to enforce the peace. If I, if I don't kill him, the high priest and all the Jews, they'll rise up, they'll get angry, and they'll start a little revolt. But if I do kill him, he's got followers that are, are willing to die maybe. They could start a revolt of their own. So they finally talked him into it. 
kill him. And Pilate says, do it, do it the way you want it. I'm going to wash my hands, but we'll put him to death. And the Jews said, it's okay. His blood will be on our head. And so Jesus is whipped. The stripes that he took on his back that paid for our healing. So what first Peter talks about by his stripes, we were healed. That was the action that happened when he was beaten for us. He carries his own cross, the instrument of his death. He embraced it and carried it up the hill and they crucified him. And while he was on the cross, there were some amazing things that were proclaimed about who he was. Uh, We'll look at John chapter 19. If you want to turn there, or you can read on the screen behind me. John chapter 19, starting with verse 19, to, to pick up the story in the middle of the crucifixion before we get to the resurrection. It says this, Pilate had them post a sign over the cross, which was written in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Many of the people of Jerusalem read the sign, for he was crucified near the city. And this is what the sign said. The sign stated, Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews. Now, in that translation, it says Aramaic. Uh, Some of your Bibles may say Hebrew, but that was actually the spoken language at the time. They hadn't been using classical Hebrew for about 400 years. So the the language of the time, what Jesus spoke when he taught, he was speaking in Aramaic. That's what Pilate would have written to proclaim who he was. Uh, How many of you have ever asked God for a sign? Lord, give me a sign. I want to, I want to know if I'm supposed to do this, if I need to do this, if, if I'm making the right decision. Just give me a sign. How many of you remember, did you ever see the movie with Jim Carrey? What was, what was that movie where he was God and he's driving down the highway? Lord, give me a sign. And he's, he's like driving behind this truck. There's a sign in the back of the truck that says, stop, turn around, go the other way. And he's praying, God, give me a sign. I'm looking for a sign. And he's passing all these things that are proclaiming to him what he's supposed to do. Sometimes we do that in our lives. We're asking God, give us a sign, and we blow right past every single one of them that he's trying to speak to us through. But we always are asking God for a sign, and what does he do? He gives a sign. He has Pilate affix it over the top of the cross, declaring who Jesus was. Now, what what was declared to the world in that moment? I think it was pretty amazing. Uh, He was proclaimed as king of the Jews, in Hebrew or Aramaic, it was the language of religion. He was proclaimed to be king of the Jews in Latin. It was the language of the law, the legal system. He was proclaimed to be king of the Jews in Greek. It's the language of philosophy, debating. All of the world systems that we can think of in that moment on that sign acknowledge that Jesus is the king. Every single system that the world has to offer is submitted to his kingship and his lordship in that moment. And he really is proclaimed as the king of kings. It's kind of a cool picture. I don't know if you were enjoying that, but I like that. And then the Jews got angry, didn't they? They asked Pilate, change that sign. It says they, they were incensed. And they went to Pilate and they said, change that sign. Make it say that he only claimed to be king of the Jews, not that he really was king of the Jews. Why did they say that? Why were they so angry? Why were they upset? I think one reason could have been, we don't want to acknowledge that this man was our king. We, we don't want to say that he may have been uh, who he says he was. We just want to say he was a madman. He claimed to be the king. I think there was also another possibility because I, I saw this in a couple commentaries. It was just too cool not to share with you guys. So this is what it, this is. What it is. Uh, in Latin, how many of you have ever seen INRI? It's like some of the most famous inscriptions. You see it on the, the crucifixes in places. Uh, I-N-R-I were the initials for what was written in Latin. B- 
Because in Latin, Jesus' name started with an I. Jesus, the I made the J sound, whatever it was, or the I made the Y sound for Yeshua, whatever. Um, so in Latin, those are the initials. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that one, I guess. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Luarium, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Uh, in Aramaic or Hebrew, the phrase would have been written uh, this way that you see on the screen, Yeshua Henorzi Womelech Hayudim, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What, what we don't see all the times, because we only see I and R I on the crucifixes, uh, Yeshua Henorzi, Y-H-W-H, were the initials. How many of you know why that was important? In the Old Testament, that was how the Jews wrote the name of God. The, the name that they wouldn't even speak, Yahweh, they wrote it as Y-H-W-H. So here on this sign is very possible, and, and you can read, there's different commentaries. People argue sometimes about the spelling, but it's very possible that the Holy Spirit inspired the writing when Pilate wrote the sign that here's Jesus hanging on the cross, and it's proclaiming to the world, Yahweh is here dying for you. He's shedding his blood on the cross for you. And the Jews would have seen those initials and thought, here's a name that we won't even speak because we think it's so holy. No wonder they were so mad and wanted Pilate to change the sign. Don't say that. Don't say that. He's not who that says he is. He only claimed to be that. But it was a sign to the world. It was a sign to us that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He gave us a sign. So uh, I just thought that was cool, so I wanted to share that with you. A couple other things about the cross. While Jesus is hanging there, how many of you have ever seen the, the statements that Jesus made? Very famous. He made seven statements while he was hanging on the cross. Uh, you can see him on the screen behind you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise because he believed. Uh, some of those statements stand alone. They, they are statements that he was just making to take care of business. Uh, Mary would have been in her late 40s, early 50s probably. So when he says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother, what is he doing? He's telling John, take care of my mom. It's like it would be like talking to your best friend. You're getting your affairs in order. You know you're about to, to leave or you're about to die. So you would call your best friend and say, I need you to take care of my family. I need you to watch over this for me. Jesus was setting things in order, honoring his mom to make sure she was taken care of. Because a, a single woman without her firstborn son, late 40s, early 50s, that was not a good place to be in Jerusalem at that time. That, that was not a good condition of life. So he was making sure his mom would have been taken care of. He was, he, was exam, he was showing us an example of what it meant to be his follower when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in, in that moment, I think he blew away every excuse we could ever have for holding unforgiveness in our hearts. Here's people actually unjustly accusing him, falsely declaring things about him, and having him killed, having him murdered, crucified on the cross. And he still says, Father, forgive them. What excuse could we ever have to hold unforgiveness in our hearts against somebody? We, and I know that's not to minimize or trivialize anything we've been through in our lives because I know we've all been through hard things. But if you're in this room this morning, I'm pretty certain nobody has nailed you to a cross, beaten your back, and killed you. There, that hasn't happened to us. Yet he went through that and was able to still say, Father, forgive them. That was the love and the compassion that he had in his heart. That was the demonstration of who the Father was, right? Because that's Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And one of the things that Jesus demonstrated was look at this heart of mercy and compassion. I don't care that they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. 
we, we really do like to hold on to things, but we can't. Father, forgive them. But there are several statements on that list that he made that are connected, and they, they all flow from a part, certain part of the story. And I want to start looking at those to lead into it is finished. Uh, the first statement he makes is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. It says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, depending on what translation you have in your Bible, you may see the words deserted or abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? Or why have you let me down? Those are all fair translations of that word. This is very similar to King David, who in difficult times, if you read through the Psalms, how many of you know King David went through some very real hard things that we can relate to? His family turned on him. People abused him. They, they didn't want him as king anymore. They chased him out of town. He went through some very difficult times. He had the previous king trying to murder him. I'd say that's a pretty difficult time, and you're, and you're going to leave. All through the Psalms, when David got in a difficult time, he would express it by saying, God, why have you forgotten me? Did God really forget David? Did God leave David? David's expression of how I feel right now in the midst of this situation is, God, why have you forgotten me? And and if you read through the Psalms, David had enough on the ball that he usually came around to, even if he started off saying, God, why have you forgotten me? He came around to a place of knowing, God, you're in charge. My life is in your hands. I honor you. I worship you. Whatever he said in the Psalms, he eventually came to that place. But it was okay for him to express that. It was okay. How many of you know God can handle what you say to him? Okay? So, like, even if you're getting upset or even if you feel isolated, even if you feel left alone, you can tell him, God, why have you forgotten me? I know you're here, but it doesn't feel like it. That's a very real human expression. It's a very real feeling that we go through from time to time. And I I will add this. Say it to God. Don't say it to your neighbor. (laughs) Don't, don't go complain to God about somebody else, okay? Because then, then it's like, hey, I'm just grumbling. I'm complaining, and that's not a good place to be. But God can handle it. Get in your prayer closet. Say, God, this really I know you're here, but it really feels like you're not. What's going on? I think that's the picture that's happening on the cross in Jesus speaking out of his humanity. I know you're here, but it's the same thing like David would say. I've been, I feel abandoned. I'm going, what I'm going through looks like I've been deserted. Uh, Adam Clark's commentary says that you could actually read that statement as, my God, my God, what sort of people have you turned me over to? Or this, how astonishing is the wickedness of those persons into whose hands I have fallen? Jesus was saying, these people are killing me, and I don't see the outworking of your presence right now, God. But it doesn't say in that passage is that God actually separated himself from Jesus or that he turned his back on him. How many of you have ever heard somebody say it along those lines? Like in that moment, that means God turned his back on Jesus because he can't look at sin. God didn't turn his back on Jesus. How do I know? Well, I got a verse for it. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians 5.19, the Amplified, it says, God, it was God who was personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. That's the verse that goes along to say he wasn't counting men's sins against him, and he gave us the message of reconciliation. God was actually present in Jesus on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. 
In fact, um, if God wasn't personally present in the entire transaction, it lessens the value of the covenant, of the sacrifice that was made. If God wasn't there doing it, what, what do I think happened? I think God was smiling, looking the entire time. Man, my son is so obedient. He's doing exactly what I asked him to. He's, he's making this ultimate sacrifice so that people can be restored to us. So where did that come from then? Why did Jesus say that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was actually quoting the Psalms. How many of you have ever read that in the Psalms? Psalm chapter 22. We'll look at a couple verses there. Psalm chapter 22. Uh, that's where Jesus was quoting. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Jesus was actually quoting the Psalms as he's there dying on the cross. And the inference was uh, what happened in Judaism. If you quoted a Bible verse, the Jews understood that you were implying the entire context of it. So if, if you just started out saying a verse, the, the people that heard it in Jewish circles would have said, oh, he means all of this because he referenced that verse. So what Jesus is doing when he begins quoting Psalm 22, he's given us a clue. This Psalm is about me. This, this entire passage applies to what's happening right now. So in Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he's in essence, the Jews are saying we were expecting a conquering Messiah. And Jesus gives them a reference that says, no, this is it's the path of suffering. It's the path of laying down my life for you. It's the, it's the path of the humble Messiah that comes and dies for his sheep. So a couple things in Psalm 22 that I want to look at real quick this morning. Uh, we're not going to read all of it, just, but just pick up a couple verses. Uh, the title of Psalm 22 is the doe of the dawn or the doe of the morning. Uh, it implies that something is being birthed and that it's a new day. So it's, it's like a deer giving birth. Uh, when you look at Psalm 22, if you read through the whole thing, there were at least 33 prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus going to the cross. If you read through Psalm 22, it's like somebody wrote a, a screenplay or a script for what's happening in the crucifixion. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8 says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's exactly what happens in Matthew 27, verse 39. If you go read it, it says the Jews came by. They began to mock him. They began to hurl insults in him. And what did they say? They actually said, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. They even quote Psalm 22 back to Jesus. Oh, if he really is Messiah, if, if he really trusts in the Lord, let God come and save him. Let God come and deliver him. Uh, then it goes a little further down. Psalm 22, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. What else did Jesus say on the cross? I thirst. It's another statement. These, these statements, starting with my God, my God, these statements are connected. The whole story of Psalm 22 taking place in the crucifixion. He says, I thirst. Uh, that's in uh, John chapter 19, verse 28 is when he says he thirsts. And there's also another prophecy in Psalm chapter 69 where he says, I said I thirst and they gave me vinegar to drink. So he's showing I am the Messiah. I'm fulfilling these prophecies. Uh, a little bit later on, Psalm 22, verse 24 he says, he has not despised my cries of deep despair. I love this translation. He says, he's my first responder to my sufferings. How many of you appreciate first responders? We, 
we, we have a paramedic in our family. We, we know firemen and policemen. First responders are awesome. They, they protect us. They help serve us. And Jesus is our ultimate first responder. He saw it, it was when we were dead in our sins, it was worse than any car wreck, any burning building that we were actually dead. And Jesus was the first responder that came and revived us and rescued us. He says, he's my first responder to my sufferings. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time listening to the song of the afflicted. Another text reinforcing that God never looked away or separated from Jesus. He never leaves no matter what it looks like or feels like on the outside. I think that's, that's part of our problem in our humanity. When we go through difficult circumstances, we feel like God left, but the reality is he's there walking through it with us the entire time, listening to the songs of the afflicted. Some of, some of this, there's a lot of mystery involved where God is present. <laughs> like, I don't know why he doesn't do things according to the way I would like them done. Why he doesn't come and, you know, if I'm going through a difficult time, why he doesn't just show up and say, okay, let me fix that. I'll get you out of it. I don't know why he doesn't always do that. But I do know I have to come to grips with he is there. He sees it all. He, he will vindicate me in the end. He will be my savior. He will be my redeemer, even if I die. How many of you know there are, there are some people around the world right now that are going through very real sufferings and giving up their life for Jesus? And he, I know he hasn't deserted them. He's there, present in their situation, listening to the songs of the afflicted. He never leaves, no matter what it looks like or feels like. It was true the same for Jesus. David said it, and it applies to him in this psalm. It applies to Jesus on the cross. So what I want to get to is it is finished. What did, what did Jesus actually finish? What did he accomplish? And I think the rest of the psalm is at the end of the psalm is what he did, starting with verse 26 in Psalm 22. It says, I will invite the poor and the broken, and they will come and eat until satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with outrageous joy. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all who takes charge of the nations. There they are. They're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast in fellowship with him. Right alongside of the humble of heart bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will all come and worship this worthy king. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all preach, it is finished. Some translations say he has done it, what the Lord has done, what he has accomplished. There's actually a couple of translations that say the Lord has saved his people is one way to translate it. But what does it all mean? It means it is finished. And he gave us the list of what he has finished. I've invited the poor and the broken. How many of you are glad that he gave that invitation? If you've never heard or accepted that invitation from him, it is easy to do that. The Bible says that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. It is easy to respond to that invitation. Lord, I believe. I believe that you are who you said you are, Jesus, and what you did on the cross was very real and for me personally. 
He invited the poor and the broken. He says, I've made a way for everyone. It's finished. It's a done deal. Nobody can retract that invitation from people now. I've taken charge of the nations. I love that passage. How many of you know the devil is not really in charge of anything anymore? He only has authority if we give it to him or come into agreement with him. But the real king of kings and lord of lords is Jesus, who when he went to the cross and said it is finished, one of the things he did was, I have taken charge of the nations. Look at them. They're worshiping now. They're rejoicing. I love that passage. I've released outrageous joy as your portion. How many of us need outrageous joy? There, There are some of us that really need to experience that because that is part of where our strength comes from, is from the joy that the Lord gives us. And Jesus said, it is finished. I've released outrageous joy to you. It's available for you to take and participate in. I've destroyed the power of sin. It's finished. I've made it possible for us to be one again. Future generations will know what has happened because we can proclaim it. It is finished. When Jesus said it is finished in John chapter 19, when he proclaimed that from the cross, uh, thought a pretty cool study was uh, the Hebrew word that he used for it is finished. Uh, How many of you know what a homonym is? It's a word that you say that sounds like another word. We all remember that from grade school. Some of us don't. It's been a long time since grade school. Uh, It is finished in Hebrew. Kalah was a homonym for the same word that means bride. It is finished. My bride has been birthed. My bride has been created. I brought her her onto the scene. I have released life to you. It is finished. You can participate now. That's good news right there. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good news. I love that it's finished. Communion, which we're going we're gonna to receive and celebrate what Jesus did for us before we go this morning. Communion is a fantastic celebration of what Jesus has finished in our lives. He actually created something that never existed before. A new people, when he went to the cross, he suffered and bled for us, and he came and said, it is finished. It's a done deal. The invitation has been spread far and wide. No one can take it away from you. I've released outrageous joy to you. I've <laughs> That's, that really feels good to do. I, I don't know why, but uh... <laughs> there you go. Look, How about that one? Look at your neighbor and go, ha, 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 ha. Doesn't that really feel good to do sometimes? Like it's okay to celebrate and laugh in his presence because that's part of what he finished. He released, it doesn't just say he released joy, he released outrageous joy. What does is, what is outrageous joy look like? Outrageous joy looks like, well, it doesn't make sense to be this happy, to sit in church and look at my neighbor and go, ha, 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 ha. Tim's feeling that awkward on the spot now, like pastor's making me laugh here and I don't want to spill this juice. So this morning, uh, we're going to receive communion. I'm going to have the ushers uh, distribute the elements. Please hold them, then we'll take them together. But sometimes, how many of you have ever been, it's okay to do it all over the spectrum. Sometimes communion can be very somber and very reflective on, man, Jesus died for me. And, and that's a good place to go sometimes. Of, hey, I know, I know what he did. Oh, man, I needed that so badly. Maybe you know it's okay, though, sometimes to take communion, and it's a celebration of his life. Jesus, what you did for me was amazing. As, as, I, as I receive this now, I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with confidence because it is finished. You went to the cross and did it already. So go ahead, guys. Pass out the elements. And then when you get yours, hold it, and we'll take them together in just a moment.